Welcome to the Big Mike Fun Podcast, where you learn about advanced wealth building strategies from real estate investing to creating massive ROI and secure retirement profits. So pour yourself a cup of coffee, grab a notepad, and lean in. Welcome to the Big Mike Fun Podcast. I'm the Big Mike. Mike Zlatnik. Today it is my pleasure and a privilege to welcome Paul Kibler. Hi, Paul. Hello, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing great. Uh, Paul, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Uh, you're a great business partner. We're so delighted to be working with you on multiple projects. Uh, Paul is a phenomenal operator in Midwest for value-add multifamily uh, projects. He's got a great specialty, uh, massive footprint, lots of um, great folks working for Paul. Uh, but before we jump into business, could you tell the audience just a couple of words about you and your family? Where do you live? Uh, you're a great family man, just family, kids, cats, pets, horses. <laughs> No, so we've been uh, in Cleveland, Ohio for three generations, uh, same small little town. My wife and I went to high school together, uh, been married uh, 20 years this July. We've got two boys, um, 16 and um, I guess 17 now and uh, 15, uh, a couple dogs, two cats and a herd of horses for my wife. So um, keeps us pretty busy. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> you have a small farm, I guess, with all the uh, dogs and cats and horses, so feels like it sometimes it definitely does that's awesome so um let's talk a little bit about your company pepper pike and uh some of the great things you do and you're very different from traditional apartment complex buyers you're a specialist and uh as we were chatting pre previously what you do is very different you're not just buying to buy you're buying substantial value at projects where your construction expertise can add a lot of value and you're able to raise rent substantially. So you don't really take on projects unless you see substantial value add. Yeah, so what we're primarily targeting are properties that are underperforming, whether it be through construction, through management, through marketing or whatever. Typically um, we're buying properties with average rents between like seven, eight, $900. And we normally sell those properties two to three years later with rents between 12 and $1,500. You know, average rent increase over that two to three year hold period is anywhere from, you know, in the high 40% to 75% increase. So, you know, we are increasing the rents through construction and operations marketing and averages, let's say $500. When you take that $500, you multiply it by 12, you get $6,000. You throw a 6% cap rate on there. You know, it's $120,000 of value creation per unit. Normally the construction costs us between 20 and $25,000 to get there. So that um, 80 to $100,000 of profit is where, you know, we and the investors live. Yeah, that, that's great wisdom. You're creating $120,000 worth of value on a $20,000, $25,000 investment per unit. And you obviously uh, break some money between internal and external renovations. So let, let's go through a life cycle. Uh, we just invested in a great project. And, and I was just delighted to come to Indianapolis um, and, and see firsthand. Um, so this Lake Castleton apartments. Uh, so let's just go through a typical life cycle. How do you go through when you buy a property like Lake Castleton, again, fresh acquisition, what's the life cycle? How long it takes you to ramp up the operation? How long does it take you to uh, start 
uh, preparing, starting renovations, how long renovations take to the point where you can get the property fully stabilized? Yeah, so Lake Castleton's a little bit of an anomaly just because of the size of it. So Lake Castleton is uh, 1,261 units. It's over 1,200 units. So it's probably easier, more comprehensible to talk about maybe a 300-unit community because that's more typical of what you know is out there in the market. We obviously have owned you know, a bunch of properties that are over a thousand units. We like bigger properties, but um, for sake of simplicity, you're talking about a 300 unit apartment building that we buy. Typically, you know, we'll start looking and underwriting the community for up to a year, two years before we actually are able to buy it. So we're not buying things that, typically we're not buying things that are marketed. We're trying to find off-market opportunities where, you know, a apartment community isn't a great sub-market the average sub rent in that sub market is twelve to thirteen hundred dollars, and they might be charging eight hundred dollars, nine hundred dollars. So we're constantly going to the sub markets that we like, and we're looking for communities that are underperforming in the revenue side of it. And our company is very revenue driven, as we can talk about later. But as far as the life cycle, it takes us normally a year to two years to put the property under contract and um, get that property under our control. Normally, it's a three month period to close it. During that period, you know, we're negotiating with equity, we're negotiating with lenders, and we're starting to put our um, business plan together. The first three months of ownership um, after we close, um, we're normally at the property. We're doing um, tenant surveys to find out what the residents like about the community, what they don't like about the community. We're taking new prospective residents through that community and talking about it. The day we close um, on 99% of our deals, we're raising rents um, significantly. The deal that um, we bought together in um, St. Louis, rents were $632 a day we closed. We raised them to over $900 the very first day. And we actually increased traffic because of the higher price. So we're normally raising rents day one, talking to the existing residents, talking to the new residents, trying to make sure that the business plan we put together before we actually bought the community makes sense to the residents that's going to live there. You know, so we want to make sure we're not building this for us. We're building it for them because they're going to be living there. That normally takes um, two to three months. The next um, month we spend with the architect and the design team. So we're actually um, planning what we're going to do construction wise. A lot of times we'll do new roofs, new siding, paint the brick, new windows, new doors basically rebuilding the exterior so it looks like a new community when you drive by it. On the interior, you know, we're tearing down walls, we're modernizing the floor plan, we're modernizing the finishes, you know, we'll put down um, vinyl plank flooring throughout the community, new kitchens, new cabinets, um, you know, soft closed doors, self-closing drawers, we're putting quartz countertops in, um, ceramic uh, subway tile backsplash, stainless appliances. We like to think that, you know, we'll take this 1980s product and put finishes in it that are nicer than what um, someone building a brand new class A apartment community will do. We can never raise the ceilings from eight feet to nine feet like a class A apartment would have, but our finishes can be better, so we do that. So that's the next month of our um, life cycle. Months uh, three to six, we're placing our orders. While we have uh, four warehouses where we stock components to actually do the renovation on maybe a couple hundred units, on a 300 unit apartment community, we have to order those um, pieces and parts from overseas. You know, a couple of years ago, I think we bought 3 million square feet of vinyl plank flooring. We bought 72,000 cabinets and we buy all that product directly from the factories. And, you know, we save that money from the, you know, double markup between, you know, the factory to the wholesaler, wholesaler to the vendor, the vendor to us. So you know, were buying 
you know, a typical apartment renovator might pay $2,200 for kitchen cabinets. We can buy them for $900 to $1,000. So that savings, you know, drives back into the value of the community. But during that three to six month period, we're buying normally enough to do 40, 50 units in the first um, three months from local vendors or using our warehouse product and we're ordering it. Six months is really when we start. By this time, we've had created a rent roll that allows us to create some vacancies so we can get into the units and start working. And our um, product from um, overseas starts showing up to our warehouses. So we move a, one of our crews in. We've got a bunch of guys that have worked for us for eight, 10 years, maybe 300 of them. We'll move you know, 40 guys into a 300-unit apartment community. They actually live on site. They'll start doing the renovations. Typical renovation for us, you know, again, we're tearing out walls, we're putting new kitchens and new bathrooms, new paint, new light fixtures, new doors, new hardware. Um, that they're typically inside that unit four to seven days. So on a 300 unit apartment community, just by pure math, if you take that 300 divided by 12, cause they're all 12 month leases, on average you'll get about 25 units per month to do. So at the beginning of the month, we'll assign the 25 units to our construction team. Over the course of the month, they'll renovate those 25 units, and they um, normally will pre-lease the units through our revenue team and have them occupied. So at the end of the first month, we like to have the first 25 units done, occupied within the next 30 days. We give our construction team you know, another 25 units beginning of the second month, and the process goes on through 12 months. So at the end of 18 months, three months of planning, three months of ordering and um, doing our test units, 12 months of actual construction, Normally, we can be done with all the construction in 18 months, and then there's a six-month period of stabilization at the end, 24 months, and then at the end of the 24-month hold period, we normally like to go to the brokers, get a um, broker opinion of value, and go to the um, lenders, find out what the refinance is, and make a decision whether or not we're going to hold on to it, refinance, return the equity, and get into the promote or um, sell the property. In today's last five years worth of markets, you know, the values have increased so high that we've been selling a lot of stuff, but we also, you know, refinance properties that we like and, um, you know, keep them. So, you know, normally it's a 24 month hold period on a 300 unit apartment community. We underwrite everything on a five year period so that, um, you know, we have three years of flexibility at the end in case something happens, but, um, you know, internally we're looking at a 24 to 30 month period. Yeah, that's, that's an awesome overview of, uh, the, full life cycle on these on these projects so one really important question um supply chain problems are you how are you dealing with it because at least everyone is complaining they can't get this they can't get that uh it's slow it's prices are going up and uh you you're ordering directly from the manufacturers uh but you're still able to get product delivered the way things were working pre-covid or um you're seeing some slowdown, some price increases. How are you managing and mitigating? Yeah, so um, I hired Brandon, who um, ran a larger supply company, and he's buying our pieces for the construction company. And we're buying a lot of it factory direct, so we're cutting out that where, warehouse in the middle, the wholesaler. And also, um, you know, we're starting to buy another 30, 60 days ahead of time. So we have four warehouses that, you know, Cleveland, um, Michigan, Indianapolis and St. Louis. And in those warehouses, we have enough product that can last us um, 60 to 90 days at any given time. So even if everything was shut down for you know 30 days, we've got 60 to 90 days worth of product in our warehouse that we can continue on through the construction process. So if there is a delay, um, you know, we've 
would have bought the insurance by buying additional product and having it in our own warehouse that we control. But really, we haven't seen much of a delay. Occasionally, something will get held up in customs. But by ordering enough, our volume is large, and we basically control three factories overseas. By controlling those factories, we buy you know 90% of their production. So being their only customer, um, we're able to control timing and cost um, you know, effectively. Yeah, it's awesome. And uh, thank you for taking me to the warehouse in Indy. It was just phenomenal to see how much product you have in the warehouse and and uh, a lot of it again just investing in many of your projects and, and seeing it's it's a lot of similar stuff you you basically have one package or maybe two package three package so you, your your folks can assemble um uh these packages and deliver uh, the the product uh, i guess very very effectively it was just almost amazing to see um it's like a conveyor belt everything is just so much so similar or maybe identical that you don't need to reinvent the wheel. You can keep ordering the same stuff again and again, and you, you're, you're buying good stuff. You're buying high quality stuff. You're not buying cheap stuff. Yeah, it's really the Henry Ford model on the Model T, right? It's um, We're buying the same 15 SKUs of cabinets, and if we have to buy an extra SKU, maybe there's a pantry or something that we don't normally stock in our warehouse. We can go to a company like MSF that stocks that. We can buy it. Maybe we pay another $50, $100 for that you know, pantry but we don't have to store it and we have the flexibility of doing that. So we buy um, product that um, other retailers and wholesalers have, but we also stock enough in our warehouses and we buy direct um, from similar factories so that it's all interchangeable. And we do have, you know, like to change the color of our um, hardwood flooring, um, you know, it's a major decision for the company because we, you know, I just signed a contract the other day for um, a PO on 1.5 million square feet of this, um, you know, grayish brown um, hardwood flooring that we put in throughout the units. So, you know, we, we do have a product that we've gone through a lot of iterations for. We do do a lot of customer service um, surveys, asking the potential resident and actual resident what they think of our product online. And we do have a um, you know pretty standardized package. It's a cookie cutter that we can um, do, and allows us a lot of um, efficiency. Allows us a lot of cost savings, and allows us to store a lot of inventory in our warehouses. So when we buy a new product or new apartment community, we can actually start renovating. You know, within you know a couple of weeks of closing on that with product that comes from overseas. So we have the um, cost savings. And, you know, we just replace that product in the warehouse with the um, product that comes from um, overseas, you know, three or four months from now. So, you know, we'll borrow from the warehouse. We'll start doing units. We bought a deal in St. Louis maybe um, three, four weeks ago. We've already renovated the first 20 units. And we did that because we have the product in the warehouse and we have the manpower, you know, that we basically control. A lot of the guys that work for me, we pay them a daily rate and they live on site. They work six days a week, you know, 10, 12 hours a day. And, you know, they're very happy. Um, you know, they've been with me a long time. They do great work. They know what our expectations are. And, you know, we know that what their capacity is. So, you know, it's been 20 years building the machine. I've got a lot of really great, smart people working with me, but, um, you know, it's, it's definitely, um, it's working well for us now. Yeah, it's an awesome machine. I'm, I'm so impressed. And, and I've been investing in your projects for, for multiple years. I think the earliest I started investing in 2017 and uh, pretty much everything you touch has done incredibly well. Uh, and we were just chatting previously. Um, what's really amazing is how do you get these great projects at the IRRs where you're conservative, very conservative IRR, 
project level, you're in the low 20s. A lot of the projects that you uh, get have target IRRs in the high 20s and even 30s. Um, how do you how do you find great great deals like that? One thing you mentioned is you start looking for the deal in one or two years, it takes you to get the deal. So there's a lot of pre-work. Just curious, how do you source these awesome deals um, at, at such great upside potential? Yeah, and a lot of product. So we're different than the majority of the multifamily companies that are out there today, where they're going out and they're buying a fully marketed deal at a market cap rate. And they're hoping to raise rents, you know, um, $50, $100 through inflation and decrease expenses, $600. And, you know, if all that works over three years, they're going to be able to refinance their bridge loan out, put some permanent debt on there and be okay. Um, that business model doesn't excite me at all. It's, in fact, it scares me. Um, I, you know, if inflation doesn't happen or if interest rates increase, um, you know, they're going to have some issues in that three-year period when their bridge loan expires. So we don't really... Um, invest in that type of real estate. What we're looking for, again, is this massively underperforming asset in a great submarket. So um, Lake Castleton is a perfect example. You know, we bought that rents were two to $300 below what the other communities within that submarket were. And um, we're able to go in, a lot of the property has the original finishes. So we're able to go in, you know, rip out the old plywood cabinets, the old, um, you know, almond colored appliances, uh, the carpet on the floors, the, you know, standard white paint on the walls, you know, and put in hardwood flooring, you know, brand new cabinets, um, stainless steel appliances, four color paint. A lot of things that we sell also is that for the first resident moving in there, say they're paying $1,000 in rent, $1,200 in rent, it's probably the only time in their life that they're going to be able to move into a brand new home. So when our first resident moves in there, they get brand new flooring, brand new appliances, brand new toilet, brand new faucets, brand new paint. It's a brand new home. And if you think about it, how often does someone that has a housing budget, hundred bucks, be able to move into a brand new home with all new appliances, all new fixtures, all new everything. So, um, you know, a lot of times we're able to use that sales process to not only you know, have a higher closing ratio in the 60, 70% range, but also get another hundred bucks in rent because, you know, everything is new and it's an opportunity to live in a new house, which, um, you know, I think is pretty cool. Yeah, that, that makes total sense. And uh, the, today's high, high inflation environment, I guess, supports it. Uh, well, we are seeing a lot of folks, again, and I don't have all the economic data, but the, the inflation includes the, the wage inflation. People are earning more money uh, including Midwest markets and your ability to push these higher rents in, the, in these neighborhoods is, is, is sort of a function of the average income growth in those areas. Have you done any studies, at least um, you pick in specific sub-markets that uh, continue to, to see good uh, wage increases? You, you, uh, just, just, just curious, how do you select your deals locations? Yeah, so on the income side, we'll buy properties where the annual cost of the um, apartment is less than 20% of the household income within a one mile or three mile radius. So we're always looking for, you know, on average, it can go up to 33, 34%. We're always looking for a 19, 20% um, cost 
of the apartment on the household income. So we know we can increase that rent um, 50, 60% and still be in an affordable range. So we're looking at the average household income within a one or three mile radius, what the rents are today, what we're projecting the rents to be and make sure they still fall in the affordable process uh, or affordable range. And um, you know that's really important to us. We look at household values of what the average cost of a home is. We wanna be 50% of that. So we have a lot of financial metrics that look at a one mile, three mile radius around the communities we're looking at to buy. And we make sure that they fall within the affordability range, even after the renovations are done and we get a 56% rent increase. Makes total sense. So next question is, when do you sell and when do you refi and hold? Just, just curious um, how you think about this, because some, some assets you uh, go through 18, 24, 36 months life cycle and you sell, some other ones you actually hold. Is this just size of the asset, uh, location, value? Just, just curious how the, the decision tree works here. Yeah, I mean, it really starts out, you know, my father was a MAI real estate appraiser. I went to school, I was a real estate appraiser, or got my degree in real estate appraisal. Um, I'm a very, very value-orientated person. The first five years of my work experience, I appraised apartment buildings, industrial buildings, office buildings. So everything to, for me goes back to value. So we're constantly looking at the value of the community. And when the pricing gets above where we think the value is, we typically look at selling it. And um, when we think that there's additional value to be created, we try and refinance it. But a lot of it does have to do with the investor base. I mean, if people invest in a deal expecting a two to three year exit, you know, we sort of have a moral contract with them at the beginning to, um, you know, try and accomplish that the best we can. And if people are investing in it for a long-term hold, you know, we try and do that the best we can. It doesn't always work out. You know, sometimes, you know, we'll get an offer that's just too good to pass up and, you know, we are forced into a sales situation or, um, you know, something like that. But, you know, we, we try and take all those factors in, you know, the value, the basis of the property, what's left, how much meat's left on the bone, and also, you know, what the original investors and lenders were sort of um, thinking when they went into the deal. Thank you. Now, really important question. So today we're dealing with rapidly raising interest rates, at least that's what the Fed set the expectations for. And uh, obviously Fed doesn't control 10-year treasury market and 10-year treasury uh, has substantial impact on what the mortgage rates are. Um, again, don't have a crystal ball. We talked earlier, you, you, you had some great insight on what uh, 10-year treasury could, could look like later in the year or towards the end of the year. Um, but how do you underwrite deals in this environment where there's a high degree of uncertainty, uh, rates are going up, and at some point we, we hope that they'll stabilize because um, uh, you want to be in a stable period of time. During the, the rapidly changing uh, rates, uh, the pricing is hard, uh, the markets are dislocated, and market effectiveness goes away. But how do you underwrite today? Uh, how do you make sure that the deals that you are projecting, you're going to be able to uh, hit the targets? Your fundamental investing in, into the value uh, creates downside protection, but still you have to underwrite. You have to get comfortable with rising interest rates, cost of, of debt service, as well as can it impact future cap rates? Yeah, no, and we buy uh, rate caps uh, I'm sorry, um, interest rate caps on all of our deals. We buy them from Chatham Financial. Chatham is selling those caps based on a forward um, 
interest rate curve. So we actually project that forward interest rate curve in every single one of our um, projections. So, you know, right now, Chatham's saying that, you know, we're going to be in a, um, you know, SOFR will be up around 3% for a couple quarters. We're actually building those rate increases from the Chatham forward rate curve into every single one of our projections. And we feel like that's probably one of the best estimates that we have access to because they're actually selling um, interest rate caps based on that curve. And they're taking, you know, they're investing billions of dollars based on, you know, their belief that that curve is accurate or conservative. So we use that, you know, in all of our projections. The other thing that's different about what we do and, you know, anybody else that's buying multifamily is we're creating real value. So if we buy a property and let's say it's a four and a half cap rate and maybe it has a five and a half um, debt yield when we buy the thing, we're increasing the rents another $500 and that might take that cap rate on the initial purchase price to a seven or eight and push the debt yield up to a nine. So, you know, interest rates have to go from, you know, effectively, let's say they're at 75 basis points today to, you know, six before um, we don't cash flow. The other thing that's um, interesting is that, and I've read, you know, hundreds of articles, maybe not hundreds, but I've read quite a few articles on this. During interest rate increases, we also follow inflation. And what happens um, in our deals are that while the rates are going up, rental rates are going up, up as well. And then at some point, normally an 18 month um, interest rate cycle, they start going down. Well, Indianapolis has had 37 straight um, years of inter or rental rate increases. So we'll get the benefit of all that inflation on rental rates. Rates will go back down 18 months, 24 months, whatever that is, but rents won't go down. So we get a new baseline for rents at this much higher level interest rates go back down, cap rates go down, and it created a ton of value within our multifamily um, apartment community. The other great thing about multifamily is the life cycle of our um, leases are a year, typically, where if you have an industrial building or an office building, you're signing 10-year leases and you're trapped into that um, pricing for the next 10 years. I can reset my pricing on one-twelfth of my a community every single month. And by the end of the year, I've reset every single pricing. So we have a lot of um, pricing flexibility. We can keep up with inflation on a you know month by month basis rather than a 10 year period. So you know, we feel we feel pretty good in um, rising rate environments. We feel pretty good when rates are dropping because cap rates lower. Um, that's why you know institutional investors like Blackstone is buying up as much multifamily as they can find. Yeah, that, that, that's an awesome answer, Paul. Uh, I appreciate the wisdom because you buy them so well uh, and you've got the insurance policy, the rate cap, so you're not exposed to rates getting out of control. But in general, long-term, really long-term outlook for U.S. interest rates, uh, at least I, I don't believe it, it can actually ever get really, really high because of so much debt we have. At some point, uh, the, uh, the, the debt service becomes a big issue. Uh, and then the rates have to stay. Long-term expectation of inflation is still, um, uh, even though we've entered a, a period of, of accelerated inflation, but long-term expectation of inflation is still uh, probably in the 3% range. Um, but let's go back to the uh, how you uh, deal with, uh, so you explain how you're dealing with inflation and increasing rents. That's the easy part, right? Mm -hmm. High interest rates means typically inflation. Inflation means you, you can charge higher rents. There's a pretty substantial uh, mechanism that protects the investment, actually accelerates the value of the equity in, in the inflationary environment. Uh, what about recession? So let's talk about recession. Um, the 
Q1 had a 1.4% negative GDP growth. And then Q2, we don't know. It was sort of a surprise. I, nobody expected the Q1 to be negative. Uh, do you foresee that rapidly rising interest rates could actually put the economy into recession faster than we all uh, uh, expect? And what, what, what will it do to the to the rents and ability to, to execute the plan? Yeah, again, you know, I'm not an economist and, um, you know, I, I read a lot. Um, you know, I can just tell you what my personal thoughts are, you know, and they're my, my own thoughts and they, you know, don't come with any kind of guarantee on it. But, um, you know, I personally believe that the inflation is caused by two things. I think everyone got these stimulus checks and they didn't spend money during COVID. So they were sitting on a savings and they just went out and blew it. I think once that money's gone, um, you know, I think we're going to return to a normal inflation because, you know, think about it for, you know, a year and a half, nobody really spent much money. You know, the government was giving everybody stimulus checks. So, you know, coming out of, you know, what people thought was the end of COVID, you know, a couple months ago, um, you know, everybody had this money and they were, you know, just going out and spending it because they hadn't bought anything. They were sort of tied up in their home for a long time and they just wanted, you know, to get back to normal life and were buying things. Um, a lot of that money, I believe, is gone now. So we're going to see some tamed inflation. The other side of it, I think that the supply chain um, because of COVID was, you know, greatly reduced. So you had a bunch of people with a bunch of money that they saved up over, you know, an 18 month period trying to run out and buy a bunch of new product and the product didn't exist because of the supply chain. So, you know, those two things sort of gave us, you know, massive inflation over that period of time. Well, some of that, you know, money now is gone. It's been spent and supply chain sounds like, you know, they're starting to open up. I read an article yesterday that, they're talking about removing the tariffs from China to get more product here. And yeah, I think we're starting to work through that supply chain issue. So hopefully, you know, between correcting those two things, the inflation rate will, you know, come back into a normal range. But to answer your question on the on recession side, you know, we typically back to the life cycle of a deal are trying to finish up most of our, you know, value add within the first 24 months, but we underwrite to a five-year period. So that gives us enough time, you know, again, you know, reading um, a lot of stuff, you know, the typical economic cycles are, you know, 12 to 18 months. And that gives us enough time to weather at least two um, economic cycles so we can sort of pick our time. We aren't, we aren't in a situation where, you know, at the end of 24 months, we need to sell it no matter what the economy is at. And, you know, we have the flexibility to um, hold the properties because of the massive rent growth, we're cash flowing. So we're distributing money to investors, you know, in a recessionary period, they're getting a check. They're probably, you know, relatively happy with that compared to other investment opportunities through a recession. And then, um, you know, cap rates are typically a little bit lower because um, interest rates will be dropping because, of, you know, the government's trying to spur the economy back into, um, you know, normalcy. And, um, you know, so while pricing doesn't really fall in the Midwest, the um, amount of deal flow will. So in a recession, instead of doing, you know, 40 deals a year, you know, you might be doing 20 deals a year. So it slows down. But again, you know, with, with the value add that we do, which is different than most multifamily companies, we're able to create cash flow and, um, you know, wait it out. Yeah, that, that's your brilliance. It's almost like the way you invest. I, I kind of think of sort of Warren Buffett. You're doing like really great investing for long term. You, you, you're paying a uh, fair price for great assets rather than getting a great price for fair assets, which makes a big difference. Um, it, and more it, importantly, we're able to transform that asset from being you know, underperforming to being overperforming through you know, 
the construction through the revenue management group to the operations group um you know just that those three groups alone um the average multifamily management company don't have access to you know and being completely vertically integrated from where we're buying the cabinets overseas shipping it to our warehouse assembling it in the warehouse putting it in the unit giving it to the revenue group them running the apartment for you know five six hundred dollars more than it was rented for you know a month ago um, that process creates a lot of value. So um, people always talk about us as a multifamily company. We're really vertically integrated, you know, private equity group that deals in multifamily, underperforming multifamily assets. Um, we're, we're different than, you know, 99% of the multifamily companies out there. Yeah, I appreciate that clarification because it makes all the difference. Ability to execute is a key, uh, in, especially in this market, uh, is absolutely key to the success. So you create a lot of downside protection. It, it's, it's funny, I was asked this question, why we love your deal so much and why we continue to do uh, so many deals with you versus trying to diversify with a bunch of other folks. And my, my, my simple answer was, you, you are a specialist. You, you can execute well. There's a high confidence versus number of other operators. Like you said, there's a lot of speculation in what they do and, and high degree of uncertainty. So I certainly feel great about working with you. Um, no, I appreciate uh, it. The other, just sorry to interrupt, but the other thing is that we're we're super disciplined. We're buying a square peg that fits in the square hole. You know, we've done eighty-one deals in the last eleven years, thirty-one thousand one hundred fifty-seven units. Um, we've got a plan, a system in place. Um, we don't, if we don't do a deal next year, you know, it doesn't really matter. Um, you know, I'd rather do two really great deals than forty average deals. And um, you know, again, we. We're really disciplined. We're finding a square peg that fits in a square hole, and we're not um, straying from outside of that business plan. Makes sense, Paul. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for the opportunity to work with us. We will love working with you. Uh, if folks wanted to reach out, just is there a website? Uh, uh, if the folks have follow up, I know you're busy, so <laughs> have to be very careful. Uh, please only share information that uh, you're comfortable sharing with you know broad audience. Yeah, no, our um, website is Pepperpike Capital Partners. And, um, you know, if you Google it, our website will come up um, and you can see some renderings of what we do. You can see some um, pictures of some before and after projects and um, be able to read about the team. Thank you so much, Paul, once again. All right. Thanks, Mike. Thank you for listening to the Big Mike Fun Podcast. To receive your copy of Mike's How to Choose a Smart Real Estate Fun Book, head to BigMikeFun.com or visit Amazon and type Mike's slot name. Keep listening and keep investing Big Mike style. See you on the next episode.